Welcome to Smartest Energy Talks, the power market podcast from the next generation energy company. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Smartest Energy Talks podcast. My name's Simon White. I'm communications executive here at Smartest Energy, and I'll be chairing today's episode in which we'll be taking a look at the factors driving the increased awareness of the push towards net zero, as well as how businesses are playing an active role in helping the UK transition towards that ultimate goal. By way of a quick introduction, uh, I've been at Smartest Energy for five years now, having previously worked in our policy and regulation teams uh, before moving across to comms. More importantly, though, I'm joined by two guests, which we're delighted to have on today's podcast. First up, we have Mark Reynolds, Account Director from the Carbon Trust. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Simon. Uh, Hi, everyone. Uh, Great to be uh, on this edition of the uh, Smartest Energy podcast. Um, So just to give you a bit of background about myself, um, I've been working with Carbon Trust for uh, just about eight years now. I work in our business services team. um, And essentially, the the work I do working uh, with the team here is around um, working with mainly the business community around helping them to integrate um, sustainability uh, into their core business agenda. A number of things we do, we do a lot of work around um, certification and measurement of environmental credentials, uh, which is the focus of the the work we do with Smartest Energy, and also a lot of work around strategy and integration of strategy, particular focus at the moment around net zero. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mark. And to introduce our second guest today, we've also got Smartest Energy's CEO with us. Hello, Robert. Hello, Simon. And um, thank you very much for having me on my first edition of the Smartest Energy Talks. This is a very new form of technology for me. So this is quite exciting. So um, to give you a little bit of background about myself, uh, I've been at Smartest for quite some time. Um, But I actually started my professional career a very long time ago as a submariner in the Royal Navy. In fact, it was so long ago that it was just as the Soviet Union was starting to fragment. So it was that far back in the past, if any of our listeners can remember that far back. Um, After leaving the Navy, um, I went into the UK's newly developing uh, energy trading sector. And there I worked for a couple of companies, including the now infamous Enron. I don't know if any of our listeners have seen the play, but um, people have often asked me, was Enron like the musical? And uh, no, it wasn't. We didn't sing very much in the office. Um, And after Enron, I worked at EDF Trading, uh, BHP Billiton, before I joined Smartest in 2004, where I've been ever since. So um, that's me in 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 a nutshell. Thank you very much, Robert, for your introduction as well. So over the course of the next 20 minutes or so, we'll be discussing the UK's drive to reach net zero, how both Smartest Energy and the Carbon Trust are playing their part in that transition, as well as the trends we're seeing around consumer demand for verification of renewables. The logical place to start then is to discuss how both Smartest Energy and the Carbon Trust have been working together for five years now, so since 2015, to produce energy labels. Ultimately, these provide our renewable energy consumers with independent verification of their energy supply, um, and it also enables them to report their scope to greenhouse gas emissions. So, Mark, would you be able to outline 
what goes on in the assurance process uh, from the carbon trust side, please. Yeah, of course. Um, um, each megawatt hour of electricity supplied to uh, Smartest Energy's renewable customers um, during the reported period is back is backed with a UK recognised origin certificate, uh, which proves that the power supplied is from a renewable source. Um, so what Smartest Energy have done is develop a uh, unique emissions factor model um, within which um, they allocate the uh, origin certificate to each megawatt hour supply to uh, the end renewable customer. Um, and where we come in at the Carbon Trust is we basically undertake our own uh, assurance process around that model to confirm that there's been no double counting uh, or under allocation of certificates. So effectively, we're mapping that end-to-end -end process. Um, the way that we do that is through a, an annual process and a, and a quarterly process, um, whereby we review um, all the processes uh, um, that Smartest Energy runs. So that would be across the buying process, uh, the selling process, uh, and the allocation process. We interview uh, the teams involved uh, in that work, uh, and we effectively verify uh, the data, uh, again, as I said, on an annual basis, and then also on an ongoing quarterly basis uh, to ensure that at the, uh, the end of the reporting period, we have a watertight process, which we can then uh, certify uh, for that relevant time period. Um, and in terms of um, labelling, it's probably worth mentioning that um, we see an increasing demand, not just in the energy sector, but across all sectors around the whole area of, um, of carbon labelling and validation against that. Um, we actually did a piece of market research um, earlier this year, and it showed that um, over two thirds of consumers would like to see carbon labelling on, on products generally. So we see uh, definitely a, a quite an enhanced interest um, in the whole topic. Um, in, the, in the last 12 months, we've seen much higher level of awareness and interest from consumers around climate change. And clearly, it's in the, very much in the public domain. Um, and people, people now, I think, are, are very interested in terms of what they can do in their personal lives. So the whole topic of carbon labelling has moved up the, uh, the corporate agenda. So as well as the energy sector, we see a big focus in the retail sector uh, around fashion and food, uh, food and drink. Um, and we're seeing an increasing demand from uh, companies that want to basically put uh, carbon labels on, on their products um, and look to differentiate themselves. Um, and going forward, we see um, increased demand for carbon labeling across all sectors and more scrutiny around environmental credentials. Uh, for companies that don't follow that process, there are major risks out there to, to their brand and their reputation. I'm really interested to hear that, Mark, because. Um... When Smartest Energy launched our supply business in 2008, uh, we originally launched it as a, might be a bit awkward to say, a premium priced renewable electricity supplier. And um, if anyone can remember back to 2008, that was just as Lehman's went under and we entered the, the financial crisis. And so we immediately had to reposition that business proposition uh, towards being a non-premium priced renewable electricity supplier. But um, with that, the key thing that we use to differentiate ourselves, ourselves then, believe it or not, and this might sound surprising to everyone now, was that we saw a gap in the market to present ourselves as an, an electricity supplier that was supplying consumers with a renewable product. And consumers wanted a renewable product. And our only concern was, 
well, how could we give them the confidence that what we were giving them was something that really was renewable and truly what it said on the tin? And that's why we uh, developed the relationship with um, Carbon Trust to help us provide that third-party verification in a simple format that the end consumer could understand. And of course, um, the idea of producing labels um, wasn't something that we ourselves had uh, come up with. It was something that was mooted by the Aldersgate Group Free, uh, our launching our business in 2008. And um, we were really working with the Carbon Trust, the first electricity supplier, in, uh, to actually certify that our energy supply uh, was renewable through the annual assurance process that you just described. What is considered renewable has changed quite considerably over the years, and with it, the verification quite naturally required to give consumers confidence as that changes is becoming more and more important. Yeah, thanks, Robert. I mean, that's that's actually a really interesting concept when you think of it, because I suppose we all think we know what renewable power is, but actually there is still debate over what constitutes renewable. And when you think yeah. of technology types such as biomass, it was only this week that Bayes announced that the coal to biomass conversion plants, which have previously won contracts in contracts for different auctions, will actually be excluded in the upcoming fourth round in favour of lower carbon alternatives. So there's definitely a shift there as well. It it definitely seems like there's no clear definition or any ultimate authority or arbiter of whether that falls into the renewable category or not. And on top of that question, sort of surrounding that distinction between what we might call renewable and what we possibly could call zero carbon, we're, we're now also seeing renewable products kind of divided across a spectrum um, of what's been termed light to dark green renewable. So, Robert, would you be able to explain that a little bit further, please? Sure. Um so businesses are having to become um, more concerned over their environmental impacts. Uh, and this is something that they're becoming more concerned than ever before. And the power they consume is, of course, uh, a part of that picture. So it's quite natural that this is happening. And ultimately, the global political landscape is now such that businesses not only have to consider uh, what their consumers think and want, but also the uh, the regulatory obligations they're under, such as the enhanced reporting requirements they have under initiatives such as the uh, streamlined energy and carbon reporting framework. Um, they have to um, look at the concerns around location as well as sustainability. And as I mentioned, they have to focus more and more on what their stakeholder opinions are from both consumers and investors. And we're seeing more and more of that sort of behavior by uh, investors in particular. Uh, and uh, consumers are perhaps leading the way and forcing investors to start thinking like that. Yeah, I think we'd, we'd certainly agree with that at the Carbon Trust. Um, and just to pick up on that, that point, um, Robert, these concerns are certainly high on the list for the for the companies uh, we've been working for in recent times who are looking to improve their sustainability credentials. So um, in the case uh, of an actual uh, end user business, let's say a Scottish business, for example, how would they look at the options in terms of light to dark green 
uh, renewable products and, and what's right for them. Yes, light to dark green. That's an interesting way of describing different types of uh, renewable power, isn't it? But naturally, it depends on what kind of business we're talking about. But to walk through the spectrum of that, of those definitions, um, first of all, on the light side, um, we have renewable energy as we've known it in recent years. That is power supplied from zero carbon sources, evidenced by renewable certificates verified by Ofgem. As a, a company which began as a, an off-taker, that is a buyer of independent generation power, that means power built, uh, generated by independent develop, uh, generators, we've been buying um, these certificates from those generators we work with for almost 20 years. And it is certainly the benchmark for renewable power that we use. Um, for those conscious about the type of renewables in their supply, could look to something like our re natural renewable solution containing power supplied only from wind, solar or hydro sources, removing any questions perhaps over the, the likes of biomass. And again, this is validated by the Carbon Trust's independent certification process. So where things change more substantially, however, would be where businesses have specific CSR goals to procure a specific type of energy. We currently allow for this by supplying businesses who are procuring power via our specific renewables solution. And in this scenario, the end consumer's power supply is um, evidenced by the renewable certificates associated with a specific generator. So they can actually um, trace the providence of that power. So, for example, a Scottish corporate, as I mentioned earlier, they could choose a local project to ensure that they also had the support of their local economy. And in the darkest shade of green, we have corporate PPAs, something that we've seen rising levels of inquiries about. And in a corporate PPA, an end consumer will basically sign a contract under which they agree to buy the power from one specific project, thereby guaranteeing the providence, the renewableness credentials of that power supply that they're locking into. Um, this seems as the ultimate in purchasing renewable power, um, uh, the, the corporate PPA, as it not only has a direct contractual link, but it also has the potential to provide true additionality. That is helping to finance new renewable projects, trying to get off the ground in the UK's much changed policy landscape, where with the lack of a subsidy, no longer providing support, their continued deployment is going to require this sort of corporate PPA more and more. Yeah, thanks, Robert. So really, it's a question of which solution is most effective for each consumer, really, where large corporates have that financial muscle and the CSR goals associated, corporate PPAs are actually providing that financing to help decarbonize the energy system um, through re new renewable projects. Whereas something like a local micro business, for example, obviously doesn't have the ability to sign a contract like that, but they still play their own part by procuring the renewable power evidenced by certificates, which as they're bought from those generators, it is still providing revenue for those projects. Yeah, and I think um, our experience, again, with larger, particularly larger corporates, um, but increasingly some of the smaller ones as well, is also telling us that even despite everything that's happened um, this year with the uh, the pandemic, 
um, we're still seeing um, a, a major trend and shift towards increased procurement of renewable power. Um, and a lot of that's fundamentally due to the greater focus and overall visibility of the drive towards net zero um, that followed from um, last summer, back when the UK was the first major economy um, to set a net zero 2050 target. We've seen that lead followed around the globe and now more than 120 companies are aligning themselves uh, around net zero, uh, including most recently China. Uh, we also know that the new US uh, leadership um, which will take over in January, are also aligned to sign back into the Paris Agreement. So um, we see increasing global focus uh, around net zero as well as a, at, a, at a corporate level. And we've also seen, um, in terms of what's happening here in, in the UK and the UK government, that uh, Bayes have held roundtables uh, around how best to enable what's been called a, a green recovery. Um, City of London Corporation with the Green Finance Institute and the World Economic Forum hosted a virtual summit in a early November, focusing on the whole um, green recovery topic. Um, and then just last week, of course, we had uh, UK government announcing its 10-point plan for net zero, which is really the follow-on to the, uh, the, the target announcement um, last year. So uh, huge amounts of funding going into the whole uh, agenda around net zero, major investments uh, in offshore wind, uh, in carbon capture and storage, um, as well as uh, increased or continued investment uh, in other uh, existing technologies um, to support that. And then I suppose most notably, and in terms of the public public uh, awareness, I think, over this agenda, the fact that the, uh, the ban on petrol and diesel cars um, by uh, has been moved forward uh, significantly to 2030, um, reflecting the fact that, that transport right now is, um, because of all the success that we've had in the power in reducing emissions in the power sector in the UK, that transport is today is our largest emitting um, sector and currently the biggest challenge in terms of um, decarbonisation. Um, but if you go back a few years, um, renewable power really was, you know, I think seen as, as a nice to have, certainly when I started working uh, at the Carbon Trust back uh, seven or eight years ago. Whereas um, now we've seen a mar marked shift um, driven really by the whole um, focus and narrative around net zero. Um, and one of the reasons for that specifically, and something that, that we see, is the fact that we've seen a right, widespread adoption in the corporate sector for, um, for science-based targets. So more than a thousand companies globally have made commitments and a lot more than that are working towards science-based targets. Um, so just to explain briefly what they are, they, science-based targets came out of the Paris Climate Agreement back in 2015, and they allow corporates and also public bodies, actually, um, to align their carbon reduction targets uh, to the latest climate science, so that the work that IPCC and others have been doing to actually measure the impact uh, around global warming and limit it to uh, 1.5 degrees. Um, and so for most organisations, that means a cut in carbon emissions at at least 50%. Um, within a 10-year period. Um, so we're working with a lot of these uh, companies, stakeholders, to help them both set these targets and then equally important to set out a strategy of how they're going to um, meet those targets. Uh, and one of the key vehicles to enable companies to uh, meet those targets around their, and particularly their scope to greenhouse gas emissions, is the option to buy um, green electricity. Um, so this is driving corporates to um, extend their green energy tariffs more widely um, across their global operations. Um, and then I guess the final um, 
requirement we're seeing or additional requirement we're seeing kind of linked to this is the um, the requirement around supply chains to follow this this lead. So for most organizations, when they stop and measure the emissions in their supply chain and value chain, it typically makes up at least 80% of their total emissions. So it's significantly larger um, than their own direct operations. So companies are increasingly measuring those emissions. It's step one. We do a lot of work around that. And then cascading their carbon targets out into their, into their suppliers. Um, so that, again, is, is driving their suppliers to once more buy um, renewable energy. So we see a similar trend in, in real estate where, where companies focused on their own buildings first and are now driving their landlords uh, to buy green energy. Fantastic. Thank you for your insights there, Mark. Um, from our perspective, as well as all the listeners, it's always interesting to learn, you know, those latest factors driving the behaviours of larger companies sort of in regards to sustainability. And I guess the positive message there that we take away is that not only is there this desire for change to happen, but actions actually being taken right now to move that agenda forwards. Unfortunately, I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. So we'll have to leave things there for now. Um, to everyone listening, we hope you've, in, you've above all enjoyed this session, but also learned a bit more about the current debate surrounding renewables and how there are a number of solutions businesses can look to to implement in their own pursuit of reaching net zero targets. Uh, if you have done, please head over to our website and check out some of our blogs. You can sign up for our upcoming webinars or subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Informer as well, um, and that will help you get all the latest industry news and insights just like these. So all that remains to be said today then is thank you very much to our two guests coming onto the podcast today. So firstly, thank you very much for adding your expertise to today's discussion, Mark. Thank you. And of course, thank you very much, Robert, for taking the time to contribute to this episode as well. Uh, thank you very much for blooding me with my first podcast. Thank you. And finally, to all of our listeners, thank you very much from me. So make sure you look out for our next episode of the Smart Energy Talks podcast as well. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tune in. So make sure you don't miss out on the next one. See you next time round, and goodbye for now. <laughs>